Welcome to episode three of the Eye of the Swarm podcast with our engineer Elliot Swear and the big sound Matt Johnson. I'm John Garver and pardon me cleaning my glasses here as we, we go through the intro, but even when I'm not having to see something besides two people in a studio, I can't stand when there's something on my glasses. That is annoying. My wife can attest. I'm always cleaning my glasses and Sometimes you just get the right grease on there, and that stuff will not come off. And that's kind of where we are right now. <laughs> well, there you have it. <laughs> I'm assuming it had something to do with with my son uh, depositing some of his breakfast on my glasses. Ah, uh, yes. So The joys of fatherhood. Yes. We already talked about this last week a little bit, but uh, <laughs> maybe not in this context. No, but, it was a little uh, different because yeah. that one was, again, had stuff coming out of him because he was freaking out. But, right. you know, this one a little bit different. I feel the same, though, about my glasses. Like, there are times where it's just like, where did that grease come from? Right. Like, I I didn't touch anybody. And I yeah. cannot get it off. And no. it's like, is it, it grease in my eyebrows? Is my nose greasy? Where is all this coming from? Yeah, exactly. And then if you try to do, like, a rudimentary sort of situation where you're trying it, to wipe it off, make it worse. smears it everywhere, it'll and now all you see, everything's blurry. Yeah. Like, and now I can't see anything. Yeah, you get the nice smudge, and then, then it's all over. So, yeah, I have a hard time with I hate when my glasses are dirty and right now. They, there's something on there that's just not coming off, so we'll just power through it and, and jump into this week's edition of the Eye of the Swarm. As uh, Last week was kind of our first week of having a lot of – action for the Yellow Jackets as all the fall sports teams were in action. They all had multiple events. It was a, a busy week and uh, I guess starting with, I, I'll start with men's soccer because they had two really rugged matches at the NBC Complex. They did. Week. They did. They uh, And I got my first look at them as well, which was kind of nice on the radio. But uh, yeah, men's soccer now 4-1-2 and two overall. They moved up a spot in the region rankings, which is nice. Uh, had two ties over the weekend. We'll talk about that here in a second. But they're ranked number three in the latest United Soccer Coaches North Region Top 10 poll. Played a pair of matches, as John just alluded to, both of which ended up in one-to-one one one double overtime draws versus St. Norbert on Saturday and Concordia Moorhead on Sunday. Both of those games play at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex. And like you said, that's 220 minutes of soccer. They ended up with four total goals, and especially that game with Norbert because that was the game that I saw and I broadcasted. Rough and tumble would be a polite way of putting that game. <laughs> it would have put the made the two hockey teams proud here, right? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. That was uh, nine yellow cards, a red card, uh, also a a coach yellow card, uh, fouls, uh, missed penalty, an own goal. It was one of the yeah everything probably, everything that could happen in that match. It happened. was probably one of the most physical soccer matches I've ever seen. It was yeah. It was rough and tumble. Very rough and tumble. It absolutely was and. You know, real props to Coach Mooney's club there because they had the red card late in the second half and had to play the rest of that half plus two overtimes down a man. Almost a half you, hour. Once, once you get the red card, you know, you, you can't replace that player, so nope. you're playing down a man. And to go almost 30 minutes of gameplay down a, a man against a very good St. Norbert team, yeah. tip of the cap to the men's soccer team. Yeah, men's soccer coming back from a one nothing deficit. I mean, that was one of those games, own goal in the 11th minute which put him behind one to nothing. And then Felix Blick got injured, so they had to make a change there. Um, and they brought in Jeffrey Damas, and he played on the outside the rest of the game at that right outside back position, which is where Blick normally plays. And A uh, rough day for Felix. He was unfortunately the victim of the own goal and then turned his ankle. But For, for the people yeah. here who are who are maybe not as familiar with the soccer lexicon, explain the own goal because, for example, the closest – relative to soccer that we have is hockey and if I shoot a puck and it goes off you I still get credit for it it doesn't go in the book as an own goal yeah kind of explain Um, that own goal is a term that goes all the way back to the origins of soccer it's basically a goal that is not scored by a player on the other team 
Uh, it's a goal that you give up because it takes a deflection off of one of your defending players or something like that. Or a clearance attempt gets shanked and it goes into the back of your own net and ends up as a goal. It counts as a goal either way, but it does not go actually as a, as a goal that is scored by the opposition. And in this particular circumstance, there was really nothing that Felix could have done any differently on this play. And I felt bad about it because of that. Um, it was a situation where Seth Bolt, who was St. Norbert's leading scorer, was on the outside, and he clipped the ball across the ball on the edge of the far 18, far side of the 18-yard box, in toward the six-yard area. It was a hard-driven cross, so when that happens, as a defender, you're told to go and meet the ball. And Felix went to go meet the ball. Unfortunately, Dalton Van Kandel had moved because he was anticipating the ball actually hitting the target, which was the guy that was coming on the, on the back post right. looking for the header. And unfortunately, Felix got a good piece of head on it, but he headed it right into his own net, and so that counts as an open as an own goal, and that goal was scored. I, uh, on these notes, according to about ten oh five into the opening half, so for the rest of the half, the Jackets were trying to come back. Not a lot of offense in that first half. They were playing into a stiff breeze because um, it was stormy and rainy that day, um, and they went in the halftime tied at one. And then the second half, Blake Perry evened it up for the Jackets. At 60-52, his third goal of the season off of a long throw from Mason Tinsky, which was also a strange occurrence because you don't usually see a long throw that bounces twice, goes all the way to the far post on the other side, and then gets put away by the forward standing there. Right. But that's what happened on, on Blake's goal, and he had two goals on the weekend, so congrats to him. Uh, that he goal had all again. the goals on the weekend. Yeah, he had all the goals on the weekend. I made it 1-1. One to one. Uh, The game continued to get more interesting as we went on from there. Uh, uh, there was a penalty kick opportunity for uh, St. Norbert, that was whistled with about 20 minutes left in regulation time. Uh, to be honest with you, I thought it was pretty soft. Uh, but it was it was given. You know, compared to some of the things that were allowed to go, especially early in the second half, in the box, when, when on the things other end. started to get a little more physical, I would agree that I think that was probably a bit of a soft call. It was a bit of a soft call. And Seth Bolt, the aforementioned Seth Bolt from uh, St. Norbert, stepped up, took the penalty, but justice was served. Because he pulled it wide right, or wide left, I should say, of the post, and we played on 1-1. Uh, then the Yellow Jackets had a red card violation at 81-13. Uh, they ended up sending Mason Tinsky off, and they ended up uh, playing 10-11 on the rest of the way. And the Jackets hunkered down defensively, which is what you need to do in those circumstances, and so for the 1-1 draw in that match. St. Norbert held the 16-9 edge in shots, going 7-4 in shots on goal. Dalton Van Kano had six stops for the Yellow Jackets in that game, but nine total cards in that game. Yeah. <laughs> Nine. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was one of the most physical. I don't want necessarily want to use the word chippy, but there was, there were some moments. It was, it was a full blooded affair, that's for sure. Yeah. There was, I mean, there were a couple times where I, but there was one sequence in the second half where two Norbert players were down in the box, including one of our guys. Uh, that was defensively. And then it seemed like guys were kind of, uh, uh, kind of getting knocked around. Also in the overtime, Carter Tess of the Yellow Jackets took a heavy blow. James Bruce also took a heavy blow in the overtime periods. Um, so, yeah, they, they, those two teams are pretty well beat up physically, yeah. I think, after that one. Yeah, and then Coach Mooney has to turn them back around 24 hours later and do it again. Yeah, playing Concordia Moorhead, who's actually having a pretty good season. The Cobbers were 4-2 and two going into that game. Yellow Jackets take a one nothing lead at the break uh, before the Cobbers netted the tying goal in the second half. We'll talk about that in just one second. Blake Perry. Before I mentioned Blake Perry with his fourth goal of the season, give the Yellow Jackets the lead unassisted at 23-50. Watching the replay on that one, it was it was kind of very similar to the goal actually he scored against Norbert. He hit it off the inside of the post and it rolled back behind the goaltender. After clipping it across the six-yard area, it kind of got the goaltender a little bit flat-footed, and it went inside, you know, hit off the inside of the post and trickled into the back of the net for his fourth of the season. Make it one nothing. Nate Weaver of Concordia then tied the game at 77-06. 
and then they went into a double overtime. Yellow Jackets and Cobbers selling for the 1-1 double overtime draw. Yellow Jackets held a 20-17 to edge in shots, including 7-6 to in shots on goal. Ulrich Lager had five stops for the Yellow Jackets to get the decision in net. So that was the week that was for the Yellow Jacket men's soccer team. The flip for the women, uh, they've... <laughs> They've got a rugged schedule going on they right do. now, too, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more in the next segment when head coach Allison DeGroat is here, but... You know they they played, they played last yeah they yeah. played last Wednesday then Sunday then Monday and now again on Wednesday so four matches in the span of a week that's that's a test for any team that's well, a that's a lot of competition that's a lot in, a, of in a minutes. very small stretch of time yeah and they played some really really good teams in that stretch which makes it even tougher um, the reason for that of course is because their goof, their goofed up schedule that they've had uh, Mother Nature has uh, played havoc with their regular schedule they were supposed to play river falls actually the game that they played on monday they were supposed to play that game i think on september 2nd but that one got postponed due to weather yep and so they ended up rescheduling it for monday uh like i said busy like you said busy week uh they play again tomorrow against a really good bethel team we also got a chance to talk to coach doug Rode about that as well uh lost both of these matches that they just played back to back to concordia moorhead on sunday three nothing and then the same score at river falls on monday Against Concordia Moorhead on Sunday, Concordia scored once in the first half, twice in the second half. Yellow Jackets getting 11 saves from Morgan Philiber, who got the starting goal. She was uh, uh, spelling Madison Gutekunst, who normally gets the starting nod in the net for the Yellow Jackets. But that's her former team. Yep. And she knows a lot of girls on that team from Concordia Moorhead. So a little bit of a tip of the cap, I guess, for Coach DeGroat to let uh, Morgan start against her former team. Um she had 11 stops, like I said, in that game. And then in River Falls, 3 nothing again, the decision in that one. And in that contest, Yellow Jackets split time in goal. Madison Goodekunz got the start in goal, played half the game. She had eight saves, gave up two goals in the first half. Then Philiber came back in on the second half, gave up one goal, and stopped 11 shots. So that was the back-to-back days of games that the Yellow Jacket women had to play up next tomorrow. And that's a game that we will have right here on 91.3 FM against undefeated Bethel. Bethel coming in six and zero, and that's a that's good be a club. tough one. Yeah, that's gonna be a really that's tough, gonna be a tough match. You know, I I was just looking, and Bethel has scored an incredible amount of goals at the beginning of the year, and they just they're coming off a five two win over Concordia. Oh, geez. last time out. So okay. yeah, that's a high powered club. Seven p.m. the opening kick of that contest. I'll be on with the pregame starting at six forty five on Wednesday night from the MC Spartan Sports Complex. Then they get three days off before they play Northland. So yeah, getting into conference play now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so, so hopefully they get a little bit of a rest and get the legs back and yeah, you know, heal up any nicks and cuts that you have that are nagging you a little bit after playing three and four days and and can be somewhat fresh heading into conference play. On I'm glad Sunday. it's not me. As a former player, I mean, you would be completely and totally exhausted. So I'm hoping on Wednesday that we'll see some level of fresh legs against Bethel, and uh, we'll see what kind of strategy they come out with. But uh, another really stern talent challenge for the Yellow Jackets on Wednesday taking on a, like I said, a really skilled Bethel team. Talking about being exhausted and uh, running does that. Running of the cows last Saturday for the men's and women's cross-country teams. Yeah, we talked about that with Coach <laughs> Drexler last week, and I, I apologize. I didn't do my research, so I don't know Neither did why I. this event is called the running of the cows, but I will circle back next week, and we will have an answer, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, the Jacket men finishing 15th at the running of the cows, hosted by Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota. UW Lacrosse won the team event. How about this for Lacrosse? They had their runners play second, fourth, sixth, eighth, and tenth. 
pretty tough to beat. Yeah, that's you, and that's you how you win. Top five in the top ten. Yeah, exactly, and that's how you win the team title. Although Carlton's Matthew Wilkinson did win the individual title with a time of twenty five twenty four point seven. Yellow Jackets finishing with three hundred eighty three team points. Yellow Jackets were led by Eddie Carlson with a time of twenty eight oh seven point five. They're next up at the Dan Houston Invitational in two weeks at the Wartburg College in Iowa. Yeah. Uh, invitational at the Wartburg Cross Country Course in Waverly, Iowa, 10:45. They'll get action underway there. Of course, the women finishing 14th at that same event at the Running of the Cows. Carlton won the team event, and the Knights. Clara Mayfield also won the individual title, 22:20.9. Her t- her time to win the individual crown. UWS finishing with 418 points. Yellow Jackets were led by Haruka Hamanaka. She had a time of 26:23.5. They're also at the Dan Houston Invitational in two weeks, 11:30, the time of their race. On Saturday, on that Saturday, that by the way, on October fifth, down in Waverly, Iowa, just outside Waterloo, my old stomping grounds. Yeah, about to say that uh, must be a uh, kind of a bring back some fond memories for you from your junior college or junior hockey days. Oh, no doubt, yeah. no doubt. Um, yeah, it's uh, two of the best years of your life, that's for sure, and <laughs> lifetime friendships made with that group as well. I know you try to get a hold of those guys pretty often too, don't we you? We talk quite like, a bit. Yeah. yeah, we've got a little Facebook group that we we talk amongst each other quite a bit, and I I think we're planning uh, for the twelfth of October. We've got a reunion down in Waterloo. So the good Lord looked at us uh, this year and said, "I'm not going to put any home games on that weekend for you." So I'm actually going to be able to attend this year because I missed it last year. Well, I know that uh, also you guys are going in fifteen thousand different directions. Yeah, I mean, the guys from that team are all over the place. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So we just kind of made a decision that the home opener every year is going to be reunion weekend, and come one, come all. If you can make it, great. If you can't, that's fine too. We'll see you next year. Well, there you have it. Yeah. So let's stay outside and play golf. Okay, let's play golf. The men finishing 14th at the SJU Fall Invitational in Sox Center in Sartell, Minnesota. That was a two-day event in two different courses in two different towns. But it was hosted by St. John's. So oh. keep keep up with all of that. <laughs> okay. Two-day event. Saturday's first round was played at the Greystone Golf Club in Sox Center, while Sunday's final round was played at the Blackberry Ridge Golf Club in Sartell. Gail Jackets finished with a team score of 627. Joey Cummings and Sam Albrecht each in a tie for 48th with scores of 156. But there was like, I think maybe 15, 16 teams down there, something like that. Yeah, it's a pretty big event. Yeah. It's a pretty big event. It's, uh, you know, a lot of these tournaments that Coach Eberhardt is getting into now, you're going to start seeing 15 teams, 20 teams, 30 teams because yeah. he, he, he needs to start getting as much it was big. I looked at the competition results. as yeah. possible as they get closer and closer to the conference championships. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was looking at it, like I said, and I was looking at the, lot, the list of teams, and now you're getting in some serious, heavy competition now. Uh, St. Thomas won the team title. And the Tommy's Ben Frazzini was the winner of the tournament. How about this? He was under three under par for the entire tournament. You very rarely will have an entire <laughs> tournament, especially a two-day event, right? Yeah, where you have one player finish under par. You you might get somebody who's he even, was the only one, even one over, two over, but three under. Yeah, he was three. That's under. a heck of a score. Yeah, and he was well ahead. Yeah, <laughs> as, you, as you can imagine. Yep. I think one guy was close, maybe like a plus three or plus four. But even that, that's but seven that's strokes. Six, yeah, that's six, seven close. strokes. No, that's not that close. No. Um, so St. Thomas does take the uh, the team title there. Um, Tommy's continuing to do well in all their sports, as we know. Uh, next up for them, they're at the Twin Cities Classic, which is not a one-day event, two-day event. It's a three-day event. And that is hosted by Gustavus Adolphus. Saturday, 11.30 a.m. at the Lynx at North Fork Golf Course in Ramsey, Minnesota. Then 10.30 a.m. on Sunday at the Elk River Golf Club in Elk River, Minnesota. And then 9.30 a.m. Monday at the Minnesota Valley Golf Club in Bloomington. 
So three days in three different courses. In three different towns. In three different towns. <laughs> None of which Gustavus is in. No, Gustavus <laughs> is not in any of those. In fact, they're a good hour south of all of those, at least. <laughs> so there you have it. Meanwhile, the women finishing, they, were, they had two actual meets last week. Finished fourth at the NCU Invite in Falcon Heights, Minnesota on Tuesday. And then tied for fifth at the Luther Invitational in Decorah, Iowa on Sunday. That was a two-day event, by the way, down in Decorah. At the NCU Invite, UW-River Falls was the team champ. Martin Luther's Allison Lindemann was the individual champ with a score of 85. UWS finishing with 418 points. Finished behind River Falls, Augsburg, and Bethany Lutheran in that event. Elena Tulip finished sixth. She had a score of 91. Sarah Walquist tied for 10th with a score of 97. Meanwhile, at the Luther Invitational, Luther was the team champ, and the Norse's Morgan Krantz was the individual champ of that two-day event with a 156. UWS finishing with 219 points. Elena Tulip finishing in 14th with a score of 178. Up next, they're at the Viking Invite, hosted by Bethany Lutheran. Again, a two-day event, and again, two different courses in two different towns. Neither of which Bethany Lutheran is in. Exactly. <laughs> here we, we're, we're sensing a theme here. Their courses that, they're playing at courses like an hour and a half away. Yeah. Friday at 10 a.m., they're at the Crow River Golf Club in Hutchinson, which is a long way away. And then on Saturday, they are starting at 11 a.m. at the Oakdale Golf Club in Buffalo Lake, Minnesota. So both those teams putting on the miles right now and playing all over the state of Minnesota at the moment. Well, you got to play where you can play. You know, right, yeah, exactly. the fall like we've had and it being as wet as it's been. You know, you, you kind of have to get those matches anywhere you can, and right. uh, that's that's sort of what Coach Eberhardt is doing with his two teams. Absolutely. You know, and like you said, they're coming to the end of their season. I think the UMAC championships are coming up then It's just after. a couple of weeks out, yeah. yeah. It's like, well, like, like you said, two weeks out maybe. Yeah, so they're ramping up now for the for that and hoping to defend their title and qualify again for the N- NCAA, NCAA tournament meet in May. So okay. a nice by the way, I, break. I think I did get an answer as to why the NCAA runs it that way. It has nothing to do with the NCAA. It has to do with our conference, apparently. Because they say it's a, I guess they some leagues have golf as a spring sport, correct? And some have fall, and well, we have fall. some. It's a split season. They'll, okay, they'll, they'll play. Oh, okay. They'll play some in the in the fall. They'll play some in the spring. And I guess I just never looked at it that way. Yeah, I mean that was what I. That's what I've been told. But I, I mean, again, if we get Coach Eberhardt on, we can talk to him about it. Excellent. I yeah. like that. And then we wrap it up with uh, the least busy team last week, volleyball. Yeah, volleyball. Only one match. Yeah, only one match. Normally they play three or four on a weekend at a tournament somewhere. Last weekend, it was a quiet one for the Yellow Jackets. Unfortunately, they lost to St. Kate's 3-1 to on Saturday at the Mertz Morelli Gymnasium. Scores there, 20-25, 22-25, 25-22, 25, and 25-27. That match was actually pretty tight all the way through. Yeah, it wasn't a 3-1 no. blowout by any means. No. It, was, it was pretty tight. Yeah, it was. UWS hit 156 as a team for the match, while St. Catherine hit 181. Cammie Sleda, 19 kills. She hit... 222 for the Jackets, while Briley Colligan had 13 kills and a 265 attack percentage. Gina Barch won the freshman. She had a pretty strong all-around match, actually. Seven kills, 19 assists, 14 digs. Almost a triple-double. Yeah. I think she's had two already this year. Yeah. And a partridge in a pear tree. Mm-hmm. Megan Holes, 15 assists. Peyton Sherber, meanwhile, another freshman. Third, 23 digs for the Yellow Jackets. They're on the road tonight, actually. They're taking on Crown at the Wild Athletic Center in St. Bonifacius, Minnesota. That's their UMAC opener. 7 p.m., the opening serve down in the Twin Cities metro area, playing Crown tonight, and then they're next at home on Saturday. They have a triangle taking on Martin Luther and Bethel at the Mertz, 2 p.m., the start of the match against the Knights, and then they'll take a couple hours off and take on the Royals at 6 p.m. 
It was about 200 degrees in that gym on Saturday. Oh, my gosh, was it ever. It was so hot in there, and it was humid, and after every single point, they had to wipe the floor. Well, and that was one of those also that we we were – you know, we didn't talk about this in, in, in kind of discussing the men's soccer game, but that press box at the, at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex was like a sauna <laughs> in the moments leading up to that game. So we had had plenty of heat and humidity between being up at the NBC for the men's soccer game and then coming back over to the Mertz for the women's volleyball game because going from one sauna to another. But like you said, it was warm in it there. It was hot in there. Yeah. I mean, would, there was plenty of perspiration by everybody yeah, in the it gym. It wouldn't have been night. fun to play in, in conditions like that, that is for sure. That'll do it for our Yellow Jacket Roundup of what happened last week. We'll take a timeout, and Elliot can reload his coffee cup for a third time, and then we will come back with Yellow Jacket head women's soccer coach Allison DeGroat when the Eye of the Swarm podcast continues right after this. Sports broadcasts on 91.3 FM are made possible in part by Barker's Island Inn of Superior. The Barker's Waterfront Grill offers breakfast, lunch, and dinner overlooking the harbor. More at barkersislandinn.com, northern Wisconsin's island getaway. We're back on the Eye of the Swarm podcast, and we are joined by Yellow Jacket women's soccer coach Allison DeGroat. And first, rule number one, no texting when you're on the show. Oh, shoot. And number two, I want to hear that noise again that you just made before we got on the air here. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should have to play that prior to every coach being on. That that be is, the, that's the new bumper right there. That's the best intro we've had yet. <laughs> Perfect. That's the best intro we've had yet. So Glad that's, I could help. This is going to go really well. I can it's going to be tell. fantastic. I'm already seeing like the, her phone is open and she just got a text that came in. So. <laughs> oh, no. We're getting called out. <laughs> no texting during the podcast. So, Coach, thanks for popping up. And uh, let's let's talk a little bit about... Your season and the start of it so far, uh, what you thought it was going to be, not what you thought it was going to be, like where you're at, hate where you're at. Let's let's dive in a little bit. Um, I definitely like where we're at. We had the an equal number of returners and newcomers, so we knew it was going to take a little bit of time to put the pieces together. And the start of our season this year, just like last year, is the toughest part of our schedule. Um, so really excited. I think we're attacking better than we've ever attacked. And... Um, as far as the my style of coaching, I always start with the defenders and work my way up. So we haven't done a ton of coaching and tactics in the offensive uh, third of the field at this point, and super excited to see as we put those pieces together what that will look like going forward. I, I imagine too the because uh, you say you have the same number of incoming players as you have returners, yeah. and it definitely addresses somewhat of a depth issue because you know no offense to anybody who's here prior to you, but We've never really had those kind of numbers within your sport, and I imagine that really limits a lot of the things you can do practice-wise, game-wise, because you just don't have the depth. Right, right, absolutely. That has been an an issue um, in my first two seasons is not having the depth, and now we're finally at a point where we can actually play 11 versus 11 in the training environment, and the the complexity of the tactics we're able to do because of that greatly increases. And so I think our, our knowledge and understanding of the game this season will really increase and increase quickly. Talk a little bit about kind of what it was like coming, coming in here. Um, because again, we didn't have a lot of depth at the time and you really had to start essentially from scratch, didn't you? And in, in terms of 
legitimately building a program. Yeah, it definitely had its challenges. The The team was 1-16 in 16 when I took over the program, and I believe there were 14 people rostered or 13 people rostered, which barely puts a, fee, a, a team out on the field. Um, and so it really was ensuring that we could get some recruits. We had to, to initially take some – not take – borrow players from other sports <laughs> in order to have a competitive team um in particular my first year but even a little bit my second year um and now I feel like we're finally at a roster where it's made up of true soccer players um that came to UW-Superior for soccer um so that yeah there were definitely challenges and I think one of the the biggest ones was actually changing the mentality around the attack they were used to defending and defending well um but when they tried to go forward, it would be send one person, and, and we really honed in on we go forward as a unit, we go forward together, and it, once we started attacking with numbers, good things happened, and I think that's, again, one one of the things we need to emphasize going into this next season is we've got to be going forward with numbers and attacking with not just our forwards but our mids um, and even our outwide defenders. We have some really dangerous outwide defenders that can create some really great attacking moments. Was it harder than you thought? When you when you first came in, when you you move into the office and you start looking at okay, this is what my roster looks like. This is what my depth chart is like. This is how I'm going to have to put my team together. This is the style of play we're going to have to play until we can get to a point where I can address things like an attack. Was all of that harder than you expected it to be, or were you pretty well prepared coming in? Like okay, it's going to be like this. Uh, no, I definitely had some surprises and some things that I, I believed. Like I was under the impression that one of the best ways to play was to explain roles very clearly and have a set system. Um, and when I realized how few players we had and how much I was going to have to move players around into different roles and different positions, I realized we're just going to have to, we're going to have to play the system that makes sense in the given day with the given players we have available. Um, so that's an example of, of where it was a lot tougher. And then I think another piece of where it was tougher was the roster numbers were smaller than I expected. And so luckily we have an awesome athletic department with a number of people that are very supportive and having other coaches step up and, and allow their multi-sport athletes to come play for us really created a strong foundation in my first two years so that hopefully we can thrive this this third year. You know, it's interesting to have I, – I know your background as far as, like, where you kind of cut your teeth a little bit. I mean, you're a former Division One player. You also uh, had to, the chance to work under Mike Navarre down at Augsburg, who is a really good coach. I mean, he's built a really strong program down at Augsburg, and there were always good numbers there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, and checking out their roster, they always have between 20 and 30 girls on the roster. So if you could just talk a little bit about that, about how that kind of informed you as far as like your coaching philosophy a little bit, because I know that that, you know, spending some time with him and kind of learning under him has kind of helped inform you as to how you want to kind of build the Yellow Jacket program a little bit too. Uh, definitely. I learned so much from Mike. Um, I think the the main thing that sticks out in my head as soon as you mention his name is hard work and love is the way. And it's that con- it's that constant balance of can we support one another and push each other and hold high expectations. And I think when we're in environments where we feel supported and we know that any singular mistake or singular moment isn't going to define us, um, we have the confidence and ability to really reach our potential. Uh, And that whole mindset, that whole philosophy was 
rooted in my experience with Mike and, and my experiences at Augsburg. He did always have and always has had um, – actually, when he first started his first team, he only had nine players on it. So it's, it's kind of funny to look at that and be like, oh, Mike started – he only had nine players at Augsburg, and now he's um, been in the national rankings a number of times and um, done wonderful things with that program. So it's kind of fun to see some mirror images maybe in his experiences and, and now mine. Um, but the other thing he definitely taught me was that – when players are chasing something, they work that much harder. When they feel like they're they're being chased or they're just protecting something um, and sitting in, I don't, I don't think players work as hard when they feel like they need to be scared of something. I think they're that creates a, a boundary from really reaching our potential. So that's definitely something we always talk about. We, what are we chasing? What are we going after? What are what is the true meaning of each singular game and and the season as a whole? Right now, our big thing theme is a team of significance Um, and we specifically mean that as a team of significance over a team of success being that we're going to impact each other's lives we're going to make impacts on each other's character we're going to be demanding of of our players as people and not just on the field and hopefully that they'll remember significant moments that will define the rest of their lives hopefully and not just try to win games on the field. Well, one of the things that's really neat, and for those of you who are listening who have not had the chance to visit Coach DeGroat in her office, your whiteboard is kind of a, a kind of a who's who of, of little statements and, and phrases that are all team-building kind of stuff. And I always find it interesting to go in there when we have meetings and talk uh, about what has made it to the whiteboard most recently um, because it, it is kind of one of those things, and it seems like the players are free to come in and kind of add to it as they go. Because I know you have a lot of your players that stop by and also write stuff up out on that board. And, and it, it is kind of, even that whiteboard kind of, <laughs> it seems like it kind of helps build the, the team community a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of stuff up on that whiteboard that uh, with some of the other coaches, you might not see as many of those kind of phrases. Yeah, when I can get my eyes to come off that couch <laughs> and the pattern that is on that, yes, I have noticed the whiteboard. <laughs> Yeah, for those of you who also don't know, she's got a quite a uh, colorful couch in her. Oh, it, in it's her loud. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's loud. It's not colorful. It's black and white. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's, it's loud. It, it's quote. It's quote. Where do you put the batteries colorful. in that thing? Yeah, it's, it's loud. Loud. It has. It has a lot of personality. I guess is the best way <laughs> that's to a good it. way to put it. Yes. yes. Well, I like that. We do look for people with personality. If you spend any time with our team, you'll definitely see some personality from them. So. Well, even with the assistant coaches that have come through, I mean, mm-hmm. even the first two years of your program, I mean, you've got three or four different assistant coaches that have played for you and have stayed local and have stayed with the program which kind of speaks to, the, I think, the community and also kind of the, the, the program culture that you're trying to build. I mean, the fact that a lot of those former players are coming back, the Selena Pena's and, and uh, you know, the Kelly Grahams are coming in, uh, you know, on their own time, mm. you know, as volunteers to really come in and help out with the program. I mean, I, th- I think it says a lot for what you've done so far through two years, and that's just, you know, the way I see it. I think the other part of it, too, is as a coach, you want to develop players, obviously, but there's a certain responsibility in – developing coaches as well is there not yeah I I think there definitely is and I think particularly on the women's side they're so there the number of women coaches is actually decreasing right now and so I also think there's a responsibility to to develop those female coaches um, to ensure we continue to have women involved in the game through all walks of life why do you think that is I I think it's okay if you don't have an answer question I think that's a super complicated question I don't want to reiterate any like stereotypes or um yeah I I mean I think I will say even coming into this athletic department I was one of very few females on staff and at first 
I found that um, intimidating, and I think that that can be a boundary in order to continue a career and feel like you have support. Luckily, I also walked into an athletic department where I have so many people who support me and care about me and want the best for not only me, but my program and my family. Um, and particularly as a gay woman, like I was unsure of what that acceptance would be like. And I, I felt nothing but embraced by this athletic department. Um, and so I think, you know, having that community and having that sense of, of people have my back and there are people that are interested in what's helping me be my best um, and helping mentor me, that was huge being a young first-time head coach. So I think if we create more communities like that, I think women will continue to stay in the game. It's a good answer. Thanks. It's a very good answer. Thanks. I agree. <laughs> Nothing to add. <laughs> so jumping back into your season now, let's. what what have you seen from your your team? What's what surprised you so far where you've been like, oh, boy, I, I didn't realize I had this and look what I have. Okay, this is a really good thing and we're going to be able to build on this. Um, the first thing that pops into my head is Haley Miller. So uh, she, Haley Miller came from Hayward, Wisconsin. She's a, a first year for us this year and has only played – um, mostly forward, but I think a little bit of outside mid, and we turned her into a into an outside defender, and she's just been uh, her her mindset has been whatever I can do to help the team, I'm happy to play wherever, um, and she's been getting involved in the in the attack. Well, she's really tough to get past. She's fast. She's smart. Um, she's good on the ball. She can beat people off the dribble. Um, so right away, just seeing her on the on the pitch, I was like, all right, we we got something here. And when you put Haley out there, and you on one side, and you put Kaylee Johnson, a senior, who is also really quick and really good on the ball, on the other side, wow! Now not only can we defend well, but we can we can create some attack out of our outside defenders. Um, I think you know a, a big change has been the back line, Aaron has been in and out of injury this year. And so for a while, there was only one returner in our back line, and that was um, tough. But I think what it also created was a lot of experience for newcomers. And I think it's only going to help us in the the rest of the season that now a bunch of newcomers have a lot of experience in our back line and are going to be ready for for challenges as the season goes on. Uh, We also have a number of... Kenzie Olerking, she's been outstanding. She's a, a center mid for us, for she, sure. I, I will just say this. She is an interesting player to watch. Uh, she's probably the shortest player and athlete I may have ever seen in college. I don't think I've ever seen anyone shorter than she is, but, I mean, she she can play that way. Though. We I had mean, a cross-country runner that came in at, like, 4'10". And that's about where she is. And that's the, the only other athlete I remember that was ever under 5 feet. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I. But she chance. plays a lot bigger than four eleven. Oh yeah. my gosh, she does. <laughs> I mean, that that uh, that girl she was going against. I, I saw you guys play against Finlandia, and that girl mm-hmm. had about a foot on her, and she was right there with her the whole game. And I mean, she is scrappy, and she's one of those players that you would classify as a former player myself as a pest because <laughs> she just goes full out the entire game. And I, I mean, it's kind of funny to see her out there, but at the same time, she's effective. Yeah, absolutely. And she absolutely uh, you know, she comes from. You know, Farmington, and, you know, it's a relatively big school, but it's mostly a farming community, kind of a little bit on the outskirts of the metro. So, um, but, boy, that kid can work. I mean, she works really hard. You can tell every time she goes out there, she really works hard. Yeah, she does. She just covers so, so much ground. And 
um, can still strike strikes a ball very well, has excellent vision. She's going to be um, big for our program this year and really excited about what she can do in the future. So, What's the flip side of that now with you kind of said which surprised you in a good way, but what's been the, the surprise like, okay, this is a little more challenging than I thought it was going to be too? Um, if there is anything. Yeah, I think – I mean, knew it was going to be challenging, but it's it's the melding the newcomers with the returners. I think we're finally in a place where that's that's melded, um, and and we're, I feel like we're one collective unit now. Um, and then I think the other thing is, I right now I don't feel like we're possessing the ball as well as we had last year, and so now it's just we had the connection off the field, and now it's going to be how do we get that to translate on the field? And it's getting there. It's it's um, getting significantly better. Uh, but it's just going to be a process. It's going to take a little bit of time, and um, it's it's hard to remember this, but we haven't even started conference play yet. Right. So it feels like we've been together forever. We haven't even started conference play, and there's a lot of comparisons I do in my head, and I'm comparing where we ended last season to where we are at now. Um, so I think we'll absolutely get there because, in my mind, this is this most skilled team that I know of that's ever been here, um, that I've – had the privilege to coach um and so i i know we have excellent abilities just how do we again how do we put all those pieces together and, right. and make sure we can keep the ball you talk about the process and i i think i hear you more than any other coach here talk about the process and that following the process is a very important part of how you want to build your program isn't it yeah i think the the process is I hate to say really everything, but it's so easy to try to focus on the outcomes of singular games and be like, oh, we want this win or we want this result to at least be better than last year. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's the big picture that we try to focus on. And I think with with that, having specific steps, specific things that we're trying to accomplish um, really allows us to reach that big picture result. And for me, I love winning games. I'm super competitive about pretty much anything. Uh, <laughs> but I, what I tell our players all the time is what's more important is how they care for each other. What's more important is um, are they working to get better? Are they challenging each other? Are they challenging themselves? Because those lessons, they will carry on for the rest of your life. Just winning like you can, there are teams that are good enough to win in coast, and that's great. But I don't know how impactful that experience is. So I don't think winning is as important as committing to something, committing to growing, committing to challenging ourselves, committing to challenging each other, and committing to having a community where you're going to love and support one another. I think we can do that. We're changing lives, and results will come and follow that. Well, and this is this is such a young squad. I mean, on your entire roster, I think you've got three seniors. Yes, that's you know, correct. You've got Tatum, Lard Noise, you've got Kaylee Johnson, you've got Sam Street. Correct. And so, I mean, the balance of your team are freshmen and sophomores. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's an extremely young team. Um, you know, your situation, as far as keepers go, is pretty darn good. Ooh, yeah. You know, <laughs> ooh, yeah. <laughs> Says the former goaltender over there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, between, between Madison and Morgan, you've got two really dependable shot stoppers back there. And I know that you're a coach, like you said, that likes to build out from the back. So, I mean, it must be comforting to have those two having had college experience now, at least a year between the two of them. Uh, the second year that they've been kind of complimenting each other as far as uh, playing in the net for you. 
but it must be nice and comforting to know that you've got those two also lined up, not just for this year, but also into the future as you're building kind of position by position. Absolutely. I mean, Madison had an outstanding year last year. She's first team all conference as a first year. Um, but Morgan, she played on uh, Sunday versus Concordia and then played half the game against River Falls. And s- same thing, we had the River Falls coach walk up to us and be like, wow, you have two amazing shot stoppers. And to be able to have that compliment of, yeah, we have a we have a great starting goalkeeper last year in, in Madison, but also know that you know, we we have a, a great backup goalkeeper who could easily be starting anywhere else. And, and if, you know, Maddie's having an off day or it's just not clicking for whatever reason, Morgan can, can go in and, and absolutely impact the game. Um, we've been really fortunate. And those two work super hard and want to get things right and ask questions and are trying to not only make themselves better but make their teammates better. Uh, so you, you can't ask any more from a, a goalkeeping team than that. And Morgan's kind of one of those glue players too, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, what I mean totally. by that is, I mean she she just kind of has that ingrained ability to bring a team together and be that that kind of person that the glue that can help hold things together. Am I correct or am I totally wrong? No, Morgan is absolutely that in that she just she wants everyone to get it right. She you know she gave an awesome speech before the Concordia Moorhead game. She transferred from to us from Concordia Moorhead and just talked about the importance that this team culture has had to for her and how much it's impacted her every day and as a person and in her beliefs in the importance of human connection and the importance of team. And really spoke to her teammates and said, hey, when you're in moments of struggle and you're in moments of hardship, I've been there, I've seen that, and I'll, I'll be there for you. And that was her speech before the Concordia Moorhead game. She goes, I don't care about the result today. What matters most, she goes, yeah, I want to win, I want to whatever. But she goes, what matters most is that we continue our culture of hive and heart, which they've defined as, you know, heart as like passion and caring for one another and and being dedicated and hive as, as their family. Um and she's like, what matters most is that we continue those values on the field and we continue to show up as that. So, yeah, she's definitely been a glue. How big – I'm, I'm going to take a step back here quick. How big was the finish to last year <laughs> in terms of galvanizing the group that was coming back? Because it was it was a very – the most successful stress, stretch that your program had ever gone through. How big of a galvanizing factor was that? It was a reward, I think, a reward for their hard work, dedication, and their ability to trust and support each other on the field. And by trust, I don't even just mean emotionally trust, but just trust them with a trust each other with the ball, trust each other that they're going to defend well, so that I, I trust that you're going to go up and head this ball, and I can I can be in the next place that that needs to be covered instead of you know being concerned about a ball leaking through. Um, so it was it was definitely a reward for all their hard work and their commitment to each other. And I think that ingrained in them that if they continue to strive for that, great things will happen. So the beginning of the season they were just excited. They just wanna they just wanna have another chance to do that again and and see what what they can do. I think one of the things that was hard about it there's always good and bad. I think one of the things that was hard about it is also there's this constant in the back of their head comparison. Is this going to be as good as last year? Is this going to be as good as last year? Is this going to be as good as last year? And no one, we don't know. It right. could be, it could not be. Um, 
But I think it's all about putting that and leaving that behind and saying we're going to make this year as good as it possibly can be. And if we start keep looking in the past, I think we're looking the wrong direction. So we got to be like, how do we make this year as good as it possibly can be? Because I truly believe that we are more talented on the field than we've ever been. And so if we can just focus on the present and focus on each other, um, the results will come. The excitement will come. We'll have another semifinal win against somebody or another moment like that at least. Um, yeah, so it's just focusing on the the present and focusing on each other and focusing on this team. It was a fun moment too. We were in the press oh box gosh. at the men's game that day when, <laughs> and had it up on the on the laptop, and the place just exploded. And the UMAC staff was in the booth next to us, and they just kind of looked like, "What in the world just happened over there?" <laughs> we we're running around and jumping and high fiving each other, and then it was like, "Oh yeah, this just happened." By the way, UMAC enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, on top of everything else, I think it really shows that also it was kind of a, a reflection of how bought in everyone was. I think yeah. that that was kind of the, the big thing for me in watching the highlights and having covered this team last year and covered this program for a number of years. Um, it's just the fact that it, yeah, you can see it, there was a noted difference in their personalities during the off season. You know, sometimes it's, you know, we had a, a rough end of the year. It was another season, blah, blah, blah. You get that kind of doldrums kind of when you go into the fall season in the winter and you just kind of sit there and, but your players had wide smiles on their faces basically throughout the year mm-hmm. based on how it ended. And, 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 you know, I, I heard nothing but glowing statements from all of them about looking forward to this year. So in that regard, it was good. I can understand also the concern, though, of, oh, my gosh, you know, how does this compare to last year? Right. Because it's almost like it felt in a way like almost like the program was ahead of schedule in a way, you know, going as far as they did yeah. last year. And so now everybody's, you know, still a young team and still trying to figure things out. And so it's hard to keep them grounded when things like that happen because now all of a sudden they're going, well, we had some success last year. You know, we're supposed to have more because we're trying to build. We don't want to go back, you know. So that's a, that can be a tough line to, to negotiate a little bit. Yeah, and one thing we talk about is getting better and growth is never a straight line. There's always hills and valleys, whether it's game to game or minute to minute or team dynamic or whatever. Like, just because we had one great season doesn't mean, like, now we have the – perfect equation and formula and now it will always be perfect like life doesn't work that way and right. nothing works that way right yeah and so and especially in a sport like soccer it, it takes a while yeah. i mean you have to build up i mean you're talking about 11 players on the pitch that have to be on the same page it's not like basketball or or you know some of the other sports where the teams are a little bit smaller where you can maybe bring in you know four or five guys that get it right away and then you can play Right. You know, it's not like that. You have to take – it has to be a class build-up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to kind of remind yourself, this is your number three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Exactly. exactly. You know, yeah. so, I mean, and, and, you know, we heard it with Rich McKenna talking about hockey. You know, this is a, this is a build-up situation. You can't just say, well, I'm going to bring in 21 players and we're going to be good now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, all of a sudden we're going to be able to play and play with anybody. Yeah. You know, you have to build class by class and you have to build some depth by the class. And that's kind of one of the beauties and also kind of one of the pitfalls of college sports is that sometimes it can take a while. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, regardless of what the sport is, sometimes it can take a few years. You know? Right. You get a class of six seniors and they get it and they've had success. And then there's a class of six or seven juniors that they get it. And then it's the younger players. So then you end up with a roster, hopefully, of about 25, but you have hopefully a pretty good balance between the classes. Yeah. You know, and that's what you're, I know what you're trying to achieve right now. Yep. Definitely what we're trying to achieve. So heading into conference play finally Yay. this weekend. Northland. Yes. So. What do we see going forward? 
you talked already that it's the toughest part of your schedule is what you've been going through. And yeah. I mean, the, the toughest of the tough in my mind is three matches in four days, the Ooh, meat grinder ouch. that you're in right now. Yep. So, yeah. feeling that. Yeah. Oh. So, you get beyond this and you get into conference play. What what do we see going forward? What do you maybe change, if anything? What don't you change? What are you, what do we see on Sunday when we're playing for uh, standing spots all of a sudden? Um, I think on Sunday you're going to see a team that's fighting, working hard, and and hopefully continuing to be more and more connected on the field. I think when we started the season, we were trying to force the ball forward way too much and giving up the ball because of it. As we've played these last two games, and honestly, maybe the grind is helping us here because we're a little more physically fatigued, so we're letting the ball do the work a little bit more, um, and that's helping us transition our style to a little bit more possession-based, which is what we're going to need. We're going to need to hold the ball up a little bit more to ensure that we're creating an environment where our outside mids and our outside backs can get involved in the attack, and if we can do that, we're going to be super dangerous. Um so I think that's what you'll see is is a lot of play um, going high pace, but but combining to get into that final third and create some dangerous moments um, from a, a lot of as you have both mentioned young players. So it'll be an exciting game. Also, some fresh legs. I mean, this is a this is you know to play teams the caliber that you've been playing recently with Concordia and River Falls back to back. Take a, a late day off and then play an undefeated Bethel team. That's a tough. It's a meat grinder. Yeah, that's a it's meat grinder, a, big time. Is, yeah. You know, I don't know any other D3 team that's going through a stretch quite like that. <laughs> no. And it's because your schedule's been kind of goofy. You've had a couple of games have been postponed and, yep. and rescheduled. That's why it ended up this way. But that's a meat grinder. So it it'll be nice to see a fresh team, I think, play Northland on Sunday. Yep, and we're definitely using these games to get experience at the end of the day. Yeah, we want to win any game and every game, but... Um, most important thing is getting better for conference, and that's really, to me, like this is when our season like turns on. And so we've been able to use Concordia and River Falls and Bethel in this tough grind of very few days managed minutes. So we've gotten a lot of people, a lot of experience playing against high-level high teams. And if they can be successful in that environment, I think they're going to only help us in conference play and help us in the, the future of their soccer careers. So. I know you've got a meeting coming up, so we got to get you out of here. Got a few minutes for rapid fire? Sure. <laughs> what's that like? This is where people always get that yeah, look on their oh. face like, oh, my God, what's he going to ask Except me? Except for Mooney. Mooney really wanted to do it. Like, I he, can was, see that. he was I excited see about Mooney that. just embracing Glenn, that. Glenn kind of glazed over for a half second, and then we had to convince him it was okay. Yes. Okay. So, but, uh, yeah, yeah, Joe was like, you mean that's it? We're done with it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Let's, let's I, keep I going. I think we could have kept going with rapid fire. We could have had about 100 rapid fire questions <laughs> with Joe, and he would have answered them all. So I asked the same first one to every coach. If you're not a coach, what are you? First thing that popped into my head was a therapist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> kind of, it's like kind of the job of a coach, though, is it not? Well, it's, level, it's, yeah. it's one job of yeah, a coach. Yeah, it's part of being a coach. In addition I mean, to being a parent and yeah, exactly. yeah, yep. all that good stuff. So therapist, okay. Yeah. Is that what you kind of were studying in college? I mean, is that the path you took there? Uh, I went psychology and sociology. Okay. So, so, that, and then I, I was in social just, work for a little so bit. So yes, yeah. it's not that far-fetched from, yeah. from what you were studying in college. Nope. Okay, that, that makes a little that's more fair. sense. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. Fair. You studied at Marquette. Yep. So... What's the best kept secret in Milwaukee? Sobelman's Burgers, for sure. It's so good. Never heard. Never yep. heard of it. What it's is it? It's so good. It's a burger joint, but it's just it's like their buns are awesome, and it's um, grass fed beef, and 
they fry up onions and put them on it. It's just really good. There's one right by Valley Fields where we played. So after games, we our parents would take us there often. That that brings me to my uh, the the fortuitous uh, uh, upbringing that I had of having Matt's Bar mm. nearby. Because <laughs> I grew up with a Juicy Lucy. Sure. Maybe maybe it's the original, depending on what your perspective is, but. Man, I totally can relate to that. Is it a hole in the wall joint? Is it like it used to be, but now it's blown up. Like okay. there's one all over suburbs. But in when I was there, it was the best kept secret. Gotcha. Now it's not a secret anymore. And oh. they have a Bloody Mary that has an entire roasted chicken on it. It's like two gallons of Bloody Mary oh, with my. an entire roasted chicken. So I have not wow. I have not experienced that Bloody Mary, but I have seen pictures. A two gallon Bloody Mary, that's uh That sounds like a challenge. Yeah, that is I couldn't a do it because no. I, I I hate tomato juice. So. I well, see like I've tried Bloody Marys and every time I've tried them, and this is even going back to when I was working working at the liquor store in Edina as an undergrad. One of the things our boss used to do for us, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but on Christmas Eve, which is our busiest day of the year, always was. Going into Christmas, Christmas Eve. Day. Yep. Mm-hmm. We would come in early that day and he would cook us breakfast. But the beverage he would give us was always Bloody Marys. And I, every year I tried, I was, I was like, I'm determined this year I'm going to finish it. I could never get past halfway. <laughs> I always got to half point and I'm like, okay, too much tomato. Like I, like, and I like tomatoes, but man, it, I, it's just the, whether you use V8 or you use true tomato juice, it's just, I, I just can't do it. Did That's it just, have fixings with it? Oh, like yeah, yeah. Entire I mean, there chicken was, or? There was celery and beef sticks in there. I mean, he fixed them up. Like it was full. It was like a full breakfast that he cooked us and he brought it in and everything. And it, like I just... I'd eat the olives and and snap, you know, you know, munch on the the beef stick, and then you know I'm pumped up. I'm you know, and then halfway through, it's just like, oh, all that tomato juice is starting to, <laughs> it's it's starting to get to me now. The expectation now is that you are going to try this. You're going to complete the challenge, and you will come back with a full report. Um, because I want to know. I what need th- a team. I need a team, <laughs> and it sounds like neither of you will be on it. Well, so. uh, well, here's the question though, because it comes with a full roast chicken. You have to eat the chicken too. Is that part of the deal? I feel like you gotta. Well, yeah. I think it's supposed well, to they, serve. Well, then you have to have a whole team because yeah, there's no meal. way that they've, you made, they've made a meal out of a Bloody su- Mary. Supposed to serve six people, I believe, is the wow. is the yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Th- that might take more than a. T- I mean, that's a lot. Boy, boy, that would be makes a, like the I feel idea like that should be on Man versus Food or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, where's where's the old Adam Richmond thing? Like where he's, <laughs> you know, wow. I see, like to add up the Bloody Mary plus the chicken, the full chicken. You just put a whole chicken on top of your Bloody Mary. I mean, that's... <laughs> Sobelman's. Sobelman's. Look it up. I'm going to have to now. No, yeah, now you've peaked our... I mean, I just want the burger, to be honest with you, but right on. Burger. Okay, so obviously you've played soccer. I, well, I have. What, a, a good. That's, okay, good. Glad to hear that. Yeah. What's another sport you'd like to master? Um, well, I grew up playing basketball as well and loved that. Um, but as I'm getting older and now I've had 10 concussions... I would like to get into tennis, but I haven't had the time, we'll say. Okay. Have you talked to Colin Dean about this? I have not talked to Colin Dean about this, but I probably should. He's offered to play with me before, but I'm like, eh, hitting it over the net is hard. <laughs> so you're <laughs> But talk- in my brain, I'm like, I'd love to get good at tennis. So like, the, we're like ground, we're at ground floor here. Is that what you're saying? Like, Yeah, you, no, I'm okay. not very good. Okay. In high school, in the gym class, I was like one of the best people in gym class, but- I'm not in high school. You know who, who really enjoyed <laughs> tennis growing up and played it? Garves. I did. Nice. I did. Yeah, I eventually had to make that decision, tennis or baseball, and I chose baseball. Okay. But, yeah, I played a little tennis when I was a kid. All right, yeah. well, then we'll have to go out and hit sometime. 
I'm really good at hitting it over the fence. I think that's the goal, right? I Not can, the net, the fence. I right? can do that okay. too. Sweet. I can do that too. At that point, you're just going for height. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a few conversations about professional tennis. Yeah. Actually, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. So I I didn't know that either until we actually started talking about it. And he's like, Yeah, I actually enjoy tennis quite a bit. Absolutely. What's a What's a hidden talent you have that none of us know about? I can juggle. I don't think that's How many? very impressive. Only three. Okay. See, that's not that impressive. Um, what else? I don't think I'm that talented. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Somehow ju- I doubt juggling. that. <laughs> juggling. Yeah. Juggling. That's all I got. I can juggle three, too, but you try to throw the fourth one in and it's just a train wreck. Yeah. Well, and some of, some of it depends on what you're trying to juggle, too. If it's a ball, that's one thing. Like, if you're trying to, like, bowling well, pins. No, like one's, no of, one's yeah. jumping into chainsaws here, Matt. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, some of those guys with their bowling pins and stuff. You know, right. Like that, yeah, that's, uh, uh, I don't juggle anything. I could barely juggle a soccer ball. Fair. I was in choir all through high school, and we were actually a decent choir, but as I've gotten older, I feel like I'm less, like, and I wasn't great. I was just on pitch, and now I feel like I'm less on pitch, so I, I don't want to call that a talent, but... That's something people wouldn't guess about me, and I love musicals. Like, I'm obsessed with musicals. That's so more of a hobby, I guess? Yeah. Like, so okay. follow-up question, then. Okay. If you're in choir and you walk into a karaoke bar, what's your go-to? Oh, my gosh. Um, I love Dixie Chicks. Pretty much anything Dixie Chicks I'm, I'm game for. Um, I've done Sweet Caroline a couple times in my day. Um, yeah. Okay. Those, those you and Mooney and your country music. <laughs> must be something to do with the soccer department. It must be, yeah. I guess. Soccer department. <laughs> He's all about Luke Bryan, we found out. So. I didn't. I'm not, but that's fine. Good for him. <laughs> Last one, we'll let you go, Coach. So a local restaurant decides they're going to name a sandwich after you. What's sandwich. on it? Um, Pickles, always pickles. Definitely have to have pickles. Um, is it weird to put pickles and jalapenos on the same sandwich? Because not at I all. feel not like it all. should. Pickles, jalapenos. Um, Fresh or pickled jalapeno? Mm, I feel like in this one, definitely pickled. Okay. Pickled jalapenos, pickles, pastrami, Swiss cheese, and I don't some type of, definitely a sauce. There needs to be a sauce. It's got to have a little bit of kick to it. Oh, well, wow. The sauce has to have kick on top of the jalapeno kick. Yeah, yeah. Spicy. Yeah. Wow. I like it. Mm-hmm. I, I I, I look forward. Right to, I look forward to trying it. Yeah, right? exactly. I suddenly, that, just, it's twelve fifteen, and I'm like, dang, I'm hungry now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of these days, we're gonna have to have Al, one of Allison's sandwiches. Yeah. I think we're gonna have to have like some kind of sit down and eat the Allison sandwich. I'm all for it. Yeah. <laughs> Coach Allison Degroat from the Yellow Jacket Women's Soccer Team. We appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming out. Thank you very much. We're gonna take a break, and we will come back with more of the Eye of the Swarm podcast right after this. Sports broadcasts on 91.3 FM are made possible in part by Donji's East End Tavern, located in the heart of Superior's East End and a proud sponsor of Yellow Jacket Athletics. Ken Mertz and Mertz Rookie Insurance, a full-service agency with more than 35 years of experience offering all lines of personal and commercial insurance. 866-378-4936, online at MertzRookieInsurance.com. 
Burnix, local distributors of Pepsi and proud supporters of UW-Superior, and by Northwest Outlet, family-owned and operated for more than 60 years, offering a full line of sporting goods, footwear, clothing, and outerwear. 1814 Belknap and Superior or at northwestoutlet.com. We're back on the Eye of the Swarm podcast. John Garver along with Matt Johnson and our production engineer, Elliot Swear, Dr. Greg Moore, providing us with our theme music for this one, courtesy of the Full Metal Jackets, who will be making their debut for the year in November once we get to hockey season. So a little more rehearsal time for them and putting together their playlist of tunes for the year. But between now and then, plenty of fall sports action, and we talked about it a bit briefly in the opener, Matt, but uh, another busy week for the Yellow Jackets. Yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of things going on. We talked about, like you said, in the opener about what's going on. As far as home events go this week, uh, on Wednesday, tomorrow, as we record this, this is um, actually going to, of course, make the air on Thursday, but uh, on Wednesday night they're taking So when you Bethel. hear this, the game will have been yesterday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But uh, the Yellow Jacket women's soccer team back in action at home on Wednesday. Again, that'll be a broadcast that we'll have yours truly doing play-by-play as the Yellow Jackets taking on the Royals in their final non-conference tune-up before they kick off conference action. We'll talk about that in a second here as well. Taking on Bethel, who is and 6-0 on the season. Really a strong Bethel team. I was checking the, uh, the regional rankings uh, this morning, actually, and Bethel is ranked number six in the North region uh, and might even be low at that. I mean, they've been really pounding teams so far this season. Uh, the opening kickoff there against the Royals, 7 p.m. tomorrow from the NBC Spartan Sports Complex. I'll be on with the pregame starting at 645 if you can't make it down there uh, along the airwaves of 91.3 FM. So should be a fun one. Uh, it'll be a tough challenge, to say the least. I mean, right. you're talking about a team that's played three games in four days now. So, right. Uh, we'll be interesting to see what kind. I don't of, care what kind of shape you're in. No, that is hard on your body. Yeah, it is. It is. And then on Sunday, we actually have a uh, doubleheader for men's and women's soccer. They'll both be at home, taking on Northland. Uh, that'll be the first two conference games of the year for each of those teams. Uh, first, it's the men leading things off 2 p.m. Against the Lumberjacks, it'll be a 2 p.m. opening kick, 1.45, the pregame there. And then the women follow up at 4.30 p.m. And assuming all goes well, I'll be on with the pregame starting about 4.15 or so. Of course, that second game is tentative to what happens in that first game. Right. But, uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see how the Yellow Jackets come out, both men and women against the Lumberjacks. Uh, or and, Jills. Or Jills, depending upon, uh, yeah, which which game it is. But, uh, yeah, it should be a, a nice challenge and also a, a nice to get in the conference play finally after – you know, what seems like a long time before getting into UMAC conference action. And then we have sandwiched in between a, a triangle of volleyball on Saturday, which will include one UMAC contest, one non-conference contest, and one neutral site contest. <laughs> yeah, it's a triangle, of course, typical triangle, which means there'll be three matches. Uh, the Yellow Jackets will be taking on Martin Luther, which is a conference opponent. Although I don't, does that count as a conference match? It, is. it does. Okay, yeah. two p.m. The opening serve as the Yellow Jackets hosting. The Knights, then Martin Luther and Bethel will play each other in the in-between. And then the Yellow Jackets will close out with a non-conference matchup against Bethel. 6 p.m., the opening serve against the Royals at the Mertz. So I don't have it off the top of my head, but when do you dive into volleyball play-by-play? When does that come up on uh, KUWS? I think my first one is fairly October soon, is it not? 5th, I think. I have to go back and look. I think it's October 5th. Okay. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I think it's Morris. That, that, that sounds I think it's Minnesota right, Morris. Morris it's, it's, yeah. it's going to be senior day that day, I think. And yep, yep. And that'll be, a, of course, a rematch of the playoff contest last year. They right. went five at the Mertz. So I'll be interested to see how that goes. That Morris team is supposed to be pretty darn good. Well, they're the conference favorite this year. Yeah. That you know, un- I mean, unseating Northwestern as the 
perennial favorite in the Upper Midwest Athletic Conference. So yeah. it's uh, probably the stiffest test of the year so far. Now for the Jackets were the preseason, yeah, number three in that poll. Uh, Morris was the pick, and then Northwestern was picked to be second. So you're talking about, like you said, the preseason conference favorites. And Morris, that'll be, I think, our first broadcast. I have to double-check that. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what it is. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we get closer to our date. But that's uh, that's uh, a wrap on this edition of the Eye of the Swarm podcast. Once again, we thank Elliot Swear, our engineer here in the studio, who before this year is over, he is going to talk during one of our segments. We promise you that. For Elliot, for the big sound, Matt Johnson, I am John Garver. Thank you for listening to the Eye of the Swarm podcast. <laughs>